sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Drop Rate by Sifter. Drop Rate is Sifter's review podcast, packed with thoughts and feelings about the newest video games, giving you insights from some of the best games writers in the world. My name is Chris Button, and joining me on the panel this week are Sifter's own Adam Christo, who also helps with the programming at Triple R, and Persephone Ranson, a Melbourne-based writer whose stellar work is featured quite frequently in Games Hub. So this week, we're talking about Final Fantasy XVI, the latest entry in the long-running Japanese role-playing series and one of 2023's biggest releases. But before we get into titanic icon battles and political intrigue surrounding a character named Clive, of all things, let's find out what's been making the news this week with the top stories on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Sit down for a chat with your pals in video games. You're listening to Sifter. All right, talking Final Fantasy 16 now. And Adam, I'll start with you. Can you give us a general overview of what Final Fantasy 16 is actually about? Sure. Look, I'll try. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, with all Final Fantasy games, this is an ambitious game. And I think that's sort of something that people expect from a game that sits in this franchise, which is like, where will Final Fantasy go next? What will it do? How will it will evolve uh, role-playing games and action games? So Final Fantasy 16 is the latest uh, Final Fantasy game. I think it's been... When when was Final Fantasy 15? I want to say six years ago, maybe five, six years ago now. Um, but it follows on from that. It was created by Creative Business Suite 3 in Square Enix, who are known for their stellar work, uh, kind of leading and fixing Final Fantasy 14 and turning it into one of the biggest MMOs out there. And this version of Final Fantasy is an action combat game, basically. Think Bayonetta, think Devil May Cry, think combos, think air combos, think juggling enemies, uh, think fast-paced combat, and you've got an idea of what you'll be doing in the game. Essentially, it follows the story of a character called Clive Rossfield, who is a noble-born prince, and you sort of follow Clive's story through three different time periods so far that I've seen. Maybe there's more in his life. Um, as he starts in, as a noble, has a fall from grace, um, and then finds himself uh, embroiled in a political revolution that may reshape the world around him. Um, throughout all of that is a world that is steeped in kind of uh, world building around magic, around crystals, around some of the hallmark things that we've come to expect from this genre and big magical 
demigods called icons, which all take the form of previous Final Fantasy summon spells from lots of different games. So Shiva, the Ice Queen, um, Ifrit, the Fire Beast, uh, Titan, made of rock, um, who's the size of a mountain. In this game, they're sort of like analogs for like atomic weapons, basically, but also uh, people. It's quite weird. I think that's a little bit of an idea of kind of where we're going with this game. Percy, I'm kind of curious, what's your overview of what this is? So I think it follows a, um, it's really interesting how they've decided to swap genres uh, between two genres, like quite consistently. Um, I found that it starts off as kind of a classic grim fantasy style. As you said, it's kind of like a, a, like gritty political machinations and Clive is sort of experiencing society from both like the top and the bottom level uh, as he falls from grace. Um, and then kind of in the same way that like a lot of Final Fantasy games do, we get a, a an experience where, you know, you start off like fighting goblins uh, and, uh, you know, sort of like doing sort of a bit mundane style side quests. Um, but as is the tradition for Final Fantasy, by the end of it, uh, you're standing on the top of a giant crystal espousing the virtues that define mankind uh, and then pile driving laser dragons into the sun. That's kind of that's kind of the the, the way that they tend to go. Uh, and I will be honest, you might not expect it from the start of this game, but it is how the game ends up. That is the genre it goes to. Yeah, because I was going to say, the start of this game is very much, um, and I'm being generous here, but like ChatGTP writes a Final Fantasy fic. Um, it really feels like, and the team have mentioned they've been inspired by like the grim dark fantasy of George R. R. Martin and the huge success of the the like Game of Thrones television series that came from it. Um, but it really, you know, the main character has a pet wolf. It's giant. Um, there is an evil mother who is basically a Cersei Lannister type. There is a plot to get her young son on the throne, and he is like a hopeless little seven-year-old boy who shouldn't be running a kingdom. There's like all sorts of shades and shadows of that game. And it's I wouldn't say that the the writing can fully get there when it's trying to be serious, but it is a bit of a stumbling block at times where you're playing through these early hours of the game, where I think the game is trying to create a world of serious depth of adult themes and of pathos, but ends up coming off more camp than anything. Um, But (laughs) that being said, that's kind of my favorite parts of the game so far, is when it whiffs really badly and it just misses all of those huge emotional moments. Uh, Ends up being quite hilarious in an unintended way uh, in a game that is like loaded with really great combat and and action-packed sequences. You say that Final Fantasy 16, Adam, whiffs a lot of these big moments. How would you say it does that in terms of, is it an execution thing or is it at a fundamental design or writing perspective? How would you say it sort of misses some of these moments and sort of becomes unintentionally entertaining in that way? Oh, look, sometimes it's a line of dialogue. Like there'll be a moment where a character is trying to say something really like serious and personal, but instead the writers were like, we're going to make them say the F-bomb four times in a row as their voice gets louder and louder and then they're going to slam and break a table. Um, so I guess you're meant to feel the inner turmoil of this character, but you, you kind of can't not laugh at it. Um, Percy, uh, any moments that stand out for you? I think I think one of the most like overt moments where they just truly fumble the, the sort of grim fantasy style um, one of the classic things that you've got to like consider is you know, if you're trying to do like a political thriller sort of intrigue thing you kind of have to respect the reality of like 
how people can interact with one another when they're in a position of authority. Uh, my favorite part was when uh, two factions, no spoilers, but two factions are at war. This is not a bit exactly a surprise. Um, and the political leader of one faction, uh, purely based on the fact that they received a letter, decides to travel alone and unguarded with uh, a quite vulnerable individual to the capital of another faction that they currently are at war with and just have a little chat, just a nice little chat, um, with no guards, no defenses, no way of getting out, no avoiding any situations that could happen, and no one capitalizes on it. And that's the kind of thing where it's like, that's not how that's not how a political war would work. That just and that's the kind of thing. It's like they don't they're taking the trappings of grim fantasy, but they never follow through with it in the actual ramifications of what those trappings would suggest would happen. Mm, like lean in one way or the other a little bit. And it's like that's that scene for me was hilarious because one, it was preposterous that it was happening, but two, that sort of camp inability to write the scene with any sort of gravitas really came through that I was just sort of giggling the whole way through it. Um, almost a little bit later after that scene, almost like an hour or two later, there is a big kind of sequence where two characters, Clive and another character, are fighting through a dungeon you fight a boss and then suddenly at the end of the boss fight, your dog barks, Clive turns around and discovers that the bad guys have all teleported behind him in the span of about two minutes to kidnap his his co-companion. And it is just one of those moments where I'm like, why are people teleporting in here? I expect this a Fire Emblem, not a Final Fantasy attempting to do grim serious realism. But maybe when they were like writing up grim serious realism, they were like, side boob in a sex scene. That's that's grim and serious. So I feel like that's sort of like where their tone ends up hitting when they try to kind of go for kind of adult and grit. And it's like, I don't necessarily need something to be grim and realistic and dark and dense in fantasy. I don't mind if there is dark fantasy either. I mean, I enjoyed the Game of Thrones books for what they were. Um, but I just feel like there you kind of can't do both very successfully. Um, and I feel like Final Fantasy 16 works better when it's not leaning into the grim and when it's kind of having fun with the outrageousness of its world. And that kind of comes out for me a lot in the gameplay, uh, in its combat and its exceptional boss sequences. And I think that leads in quite well to Percy. I know you've got such a strong history with the Final Fantasy series, and I've read some of your reviews on Games Hub for the, the MMO entries in the series, Final Fantasy XIV, and you've played quite a substantial amount of recent Japanese role-playing games as well. So in terms of the combination of things that Final Fantasy sixteen attempts, where would you sort of put it as a game alongside the rest of the series? And how successfully does it sort of continue the series legacy or adapt from that i think uh it it has a very interesting place in the series where it is at the first half it's trying to have quite a um it's trying to make quite a political statement about freedom and persecution and the uh choice to i suppose take extreme action that people may not agree with in order to create a lasting and positive change in an environment. Um, and I think that's quite a, a message that is quite pervasive through a lot of the Final Fantasy uh, games. I mean, one of the most overt examples would be the eco-terrorism in Final Fantasy VII, um, where your protagonist is literally an eco-terrorist. Um, and I think in this instance, it's going for a similar thing, where Clive 
effectively becomes uh, or like starts the path of a revolutionary leader. Um, and some Final Fantasy games have done this particularly well, where they've really invested in that storyline and they've tried to say something quite poignant. Um, and then some Final Fantasy games have decided to sort of like move away from that and go towards more of the, uh, for example, road tripping with the boys uh, on a magical adventure like Final Fantasy XV. Um, the odd place I think that Final Fantasy XVI finds itself in, though, is that where some games have been able to meld this like political statements um, with, you know, the more mythic aspects of sort of like uh, finding a vast divine force that must inevitably be defeated um, and sort of melding those correctly, this game has two distinct plot lines. One is the political machinations and most importantly, I suppose, the effectively slave revolution that Clyde is trying to, trying to push forward. Uh, and then also there's a big bad evil boy and we need to stop him from taking over the world. Um, and those two plots never intersect in no point in this game i found i i did manage to finish this game and at no point in the game does the first plot matter to the second or vice versa and importantly they give up the first plot about halfway through that has blown my mind because <laughs> i i'm 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 about 20 hours from the ending i assume based on what we were talking about before and i've been waiting for those two plots to come together and basically go we're combined now, and I can kind of see how one's working on the fringes of the other, but to hear that basically they're just like, oh, yeah, we're done with that now. It's all about the evil twink thing that is in the backgrounds kind of manipulating this behind the scenes, which, you know, is classic Final Fantasy. There's always an evil twink. But, like, you know, it's that 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 has blown me up. That, I don't even know where to go. Uh- <laughs> it's incredibly strange because from what the way it sets it up, the initial plot, um, about you know slavery is it actually does kind of make sense the way I think that they were looking at it is kind of a metaphor for the second plot which first of all a little problematic to make an entire slave revolution a metaphor for humanity trying to achieve freedom from a divine force not ideal I think maybe a little gauche but uh, I kind of thought that maybe they would like uh, manage to piece them together a little bit better but no the first plot is a metaphor for the second it never fully resolves because, I, well, that's a spoiler, so I won't go into exactly why. But trust me when I say the uh, slave revolution kind of just peters out. And from that point on, it's very much about fist fighting God in a Danny's car park. That's its plot. Which, you know, which is where I want a Final Fantasy game to basically go. Like, you know, as they say, you yeah, you want to attack and dethrone God in Final Fantasy. That's But it, to hear that it's <laughs> it's such a weird... Because that's the thing that I've been finding with this game is just like how oddly like circular, like long routes in, in what I like to think of the narrative before you get to something that matters. Like the first third of this game feels like it's not even really Clive's story. He's just a bystander in other people and being swept along with another protagonist story, essentially, who you don't get to control, who's far more interesting, far more charismatic and captivating. Um, and, you know, Clive has some mysterious sort of red herrings and interesting kind of um, 
kind of law-based magical things going on about him that make you intrigued about him, but essentially all of the motivations of the plot are falling on other characters around him and they're doing far more compelling things than him. And, you know, a big part of this game for me at first was just like, why am I stuck with Clive? Um, Why do I have to be this guy? Um, uh, And, and, you know, I still find myself saying that a little bit as I'm in the the kind of second big chunk of this game. Um, You know, I'm kind of curious as well. uh, How did you feel about pacing so far? Because I have lots of thoughts about the pacing of this game because there are moments when I'm playing it where I feel like the structure has basically been pulled directly out of my experiences playing Final Fantasy XIV and the way that it would plot what it calls its MSQ or main scenario quests, which are sort of like the, the for people who haven't played uh, Final Fantasy XIV, MMOs are big grinds. The main scenario quest in Final Fantasy XIV is where all the story happens, and it's a mix of really exciting, bombastic moments and boss fights and dungeon crawls merged in with a bunch of real filler like MMO stuff, like collect three boar butts, talk to someone on this part of the world. Now take three waypoints and talk to someone over there for two seconds about a crystal. Now go to someone else over there. And this game starts doing that and not even being subtle about it. And it's wild to play a single player action game that wants you to speak to four different people across three different loading scenes so that you can pass some rock salt to someone else. Um, I'd love to know what everyone thinks. (laughs) Um, well, certainly I can see the influence that Creative Business Unit 3 has has experienced when making Final Fantasy fourteen. I think uh, 16 feels in a lot of ways like a combination between the dungeons that you'd experience in fourteen, where you have uh, combat that follows a fairly linear route um, along a set of areas that is engaging and fun, but it is quite uh, linear and you're sort of moving through those in order to reach cinematic moments. There's a short pause where you experience some story, and then you go through another set of dungeons. Um, And then when you have finished that section, they'll move to, uh, as you say, sort of MSQ-style find five sections of black sand so that we can make a cool engine, Uh, which is not exactly engaging gameplay, in, a, in an MMO, I can kind of forgive that because I understand what they're trying to do. They need to make a sort of like uh, a bit of a, a, a extension of the time so that you can sort of move things around. But in just a single player game, it doesn't really work that well. Yeah, I almost feel like the connection I want to have with these characters is the ability to customize them a little bit. I mean, it, it sounds a bit weird, but it's like, yeah, when you're in a single player game uh, and you have less time... You want to have meaningful time with characters. And part of that is the narrative and story experiences that you have with them, which this game actually does quite well. There's really beautiful moments with these characters. The other part that a single player game generally does really well with that is the ability to um, experience those characters within the framework of the the gameplay itself. So um, whether that's skill trees, whether that's like, you know, customizing their outfits, whether it's like being able to give them a loadout, just something that ties them into the experience of them joining you on the adventure. None of that's really present. You get a bit of minimal kind of customization of of Clive. He has a, an ability tree that you can unlock new powers with. As the story progresses, he unlocks entire new kind of spheres of powers that he can draw from. But his companions are basically AI controlled and follow you and join in and out of the party at the story's whim, which you know, is totally fine, but it just feels like you have such limited 
impact of being able to do anything with them in a mechanical sense. And I feel like that really does take away something from the emotional connection that you can build with them. Even Toggle, the dog, which you can pet and is adorable and you can command in combat. And if you time his attacks perfectly after a combo string can make him do double damage, which I love. Um, Even Toggle feels a little bit like I have no agency over their evolution as like a, a combat sidekick, basically. They like automatically accrue power upgrades as the story goes on you have like no to zero control over what they're going to do with them unless something changes dramatically in the next 15 hours that's really an interesting point when it comes to like how it fits into the final fantasy sort of like genre um as well is that this i don't know for certain but this might be the first final fantasy game i think where you don't really have like party members at all in a traditional sense you don't have influence over who you're working with on every mission and you don't have any influence whatsoever in what they do or when they do it um the the things that you were describing with toggle in terms of like combat interestingly that's stuff that i actually didn't know because i don't know whether it tells you that and also about two or three hours into having the ability to command toggle i just stopped because i never noticed him doing anything and finishing the game without ever using toggle's abilities actively didn't feel like an impact at all. Yeah, it doesn't help that toggle to control toggle. You press on the D pad basically, and you use left uh, on the D pad to swap between toggle and using your items, including healing items and buff items. And it's very easy to accidentally swap from toggle to your potions and just chug four of them <laughs> instead of having him like trigger his attacks. And I can't tell you how many consumables I've gone through by accidentally doing that and then being annoyed. Uh, so there's there's a few like weird clunky things going on here that take the that could be a little bit frustrating from time to time. Um, I'm curious what everyone's because like I feel like I've been a bit of a grump, but I'm, I'm wondering what everyone's experiences of the game's combat actually is. Um, what what did everyone think? It's really interesting, the the combat in particular, because even when I played the demo prior to release, and now I've only sort of touched the tip of the iceberg as far as the entirety of Final Fantasy XVI, but I found the combat to be rather one note to start off with in terms of just pressing three or four button commands in a row to execute a combo, rinse, repeat until the enemy staggers, and then try and deal as much damage as possible. And it wasn't really until some hours into the game when you collect your second icon power and you can then start swapping between different elemental attacks. That's when I felt like it really started to click and there started to be a little bit of a a dynamic layer to the combat. And it was a bit more involved, a little bit more engaging. But I know it's also something that's been discussed as part of a larger discussion about what makes for a Final Fantasy game. And in terms of, you've just discussed about how the the party members or lack thereof and the lack of customization and the associated buy-in to those who are on your journey, which is often a core part of not only Final Fantasy, but the the Japanese role-playing genre as a whole. So I'm, I'm curious, Percy, I know you've had a few thoughts on what constitutes a Final Fantasy game. So how did the combat work for you? And sort of how does it fit into your broader expectations of playing a Final Fantasy game? I suppose my hope when I when I went into this uh, game was that it was going to be, you know, it was going to feel 
from a mechanical standpoint like a like a Final Fantasy game. And in fairness, it doesn't. It I, I am used to a turn-based system. Um, and while I have a lot of experience with real-time action games, um, it's I suppose it's not really what I was expecting to get out of a Final Fantasy game. That said, uh, I did end up really enjoying it in terms of combat systems. I do think that, um, as you say, like it starts out being very one note, but I think that was them trying to effectively build muscle memory because once you get further into the game, you need to have that muscle memory in order to be able to effectively fight in combat because combat is really about the powers you have. And I suppose that's where it comes closer to um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, for example, where you have a uh, a system where you're fighting using sort of like these uh, regular attacks, but then the real power of your your swings will come from when you activate abilities with your companions and with Cloud himself. Um, and I guess uh, they went with this system in a way that is reminiscent of that, but it certainly takes away that kind of, I'm going to pause for a moment and really think about when I'm going to use this major power um, because I have like a pseudo turn-based kind of way of doing those things. This game is fully action-based and it's just about cooldowns. And of course, as an MMO, uh, as a, a, a company that has made an MMO most recently, they're very good at managing cooldowns. So those things work very well. But as you say, it does feel very odd for a Final Fantasy game to just be action-based. Um, and it does drop the party-based stuff. You don't ever tell your companions to make attacks other than very occasionally with Toggle. You know, you've got a quite consistent companion in Jill who has a lot of extremely powerful ice-based magic. I never got to ask Jill to use Diamond Dust, the classic Shiva move. And it's like, okay, that feels like a bit of a missed opportunity, right? I I guess I can use it eventually, but I kind of want to be able to tell my companions to do things in combat. And that just never happens. What, what makes a Final Fantasy game is is such an interesting question. And yeah, I guess like, like, for me, I've come away from this thinking to myself, what makes a Final Fantasy game? And I feel like it's a willingness to like rip everything up and try a billion things. And I feel like when I think about this franchise over the years, it has been a willingness to reboot itself so many different ways and so many different times i think for the first 10 or so final fantasies it was rebooting itself in sense of tone and narrative and playing with the idea of what is a fantasy game so starting off with medieval games going into a sort of cyberpunk fantasy setting like we had with final fantasy 7 seeing like whatever was going on in final fantasy 8 which you know at one point you're in space and you capture you're trying to grab a witch so that she doesn't fall off into oblivion and maybe the moon is like shooting monsters at the earth it's great it's wild um you know to to where we are now um i think what's been really exciting about this particular um, sort of evolution of the franchise is now we're not just ripping up narrative and narrative expectations, we're ripping up genre expectations when it comes to the gameplay too. And I think we first started to see that with Final Fantasy XII playing around with the idea of having its sort of um, kind of tactical AI-based combat system that was very much like Final Fantasy XI at the time, and it was drawing on MMO worlds and single-player grinding within those spaces. Um, you had Final Fantasy 13, which felt like 
a, an attempt to return to something similar to, to previous Final Fantasies, but kind of make it faster paced and take out some of the micro decisions, but make it all about the macro decisions in combat, like the should someone be healing now as opposed to what healing spell should I be using? And here, finally, it's it's like, okay, we can rip up the book and go completely into another genre. And I think why it feels like a Final Fantasy game for me is it has all of the sort of hallmarks that I expect from a game made by Square Enix under this banner, which is bombastic music. At some point, I will be killing God. Um, kind of very odd plotting <laughs> and, and kind of a willingness to try ideas, even if they're not going to fully hit all of the time, which I really appreciate. Um, so for me, it, it feels like it fits into that world too. And I'll, I'll come back to combat in a minute because I know Percy, you wanted to jump in, jump in on from what I just said. So yeah, I think like the other thing that makes it really a Final Fantasy game uh, is all of the recurring names. That's one of the classic uh, conventions of Final Fantasy. That this game, I, I would say, is probably the most Final Fantasy thing about it. Is you know we have Ifrit, we have Odin, we have Bahamut, we don't have Leviathan. Leviathan, where are you? What happened? It's a plot point. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, like those sorts of characters, I think that they can do so many different things with their genre and their combat systems because as soon as you see those names, you're like, okay, I know what that means. I know what like setting I'm in. I get it. This is Final Fantasy. We've got Ifrit and he's punching Odin in the face. I'm good. Yeah, you see Sid in this game, someone called Sid, you know they're going to be important to the story. They take out a cigarette and you feel nostalgic for Final Fantasy VII. And, it, you know, there are mother crystals, big giant crystals. I think so many Final Fantasy games have had big Ur crystals that have ties to the elements and this game is no different. Um, so there is an element of nostalgia there that they've been able to build on from all their previous uh iterations of final fantasy that i think tie it into the universe of of what people can expect and want to get out of this in terms of the combat i love this game's combat system so much um i love action games i love the souls like series a lot i love the amount of uh danger and reward that you get in this this combat system so this combat system has a lot of parry mechanics dodge mechanics um, built into it that are really, really split second time based. Into so you really have to have your weapon swing hit just as the enemy's weapon swing is coming at you for the parry mechanic to work. And if you if you do it, you can cancel a boss's big combo attack and really lay into him. It is so worth it. If you whiff it, you're probably dead. And I kind of love that skill expression that's here like i've already found myself going onto youtube to find people that can play these games 10 times better than me and watching them do like no damage uh kind of challenged attempts on certain bosses and there's a sense of fun about the high skill ceiling that this this sort of combat system can can allow you to sort of strive for I am not an MLG gamer. I'm never going to make it there. But it's fun to think that, you know, every now and then I'll have a moment where I'm playing this game and suddenly everything goes right for me and I feel fantastic. And that makes up for all the moments where I just whiff and just eat dust. Though one of the problems with that, the fact that it's got such a high skill feeling that I found is that um, it's got a high skill floor, which, I mean, I've played a lot of uh, action games as well, so I never really had a problem with that. But it is... Uh, not exactly the best when it comes to things like accessibility, for example. Um, and I don't think that 
it has it has options to allow you to try and like mitigate those sorts of things. There's a couple of items that you can equip from the start of the game uh, that give you the ability to effectively like ignore certain mechanics. Like there's an item that you can equip which will make Clive always evade an attack that is evadeable. Um, which I suppose is is intended to sort of like ease the passage for people who maybe don't have the split second reflexes or things like that to be able to otherwise play the game um, in the same sort of way. But it is not, I would say, the best approach to accessibility in the sense that it isn't letting everyone play the same game. It's letting everyone play a game that does not have the same mechanics as everyone else. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up the accessibility points as well, Percy, because I've seen several accessibility experts and consultants on social media discuss some of those aspects of Final Fantasy sixteen. And on one hand, having those accessories in the game that you can equip to widen the dodge window or automatically evade and get the slowdown to then do a counterattack, those can be helpful, but they shouldn't be seen in lieu of accessibility options to customize the experience further because as i saw some of these experts point out that means you've got one less accessory slot to then have a damage multiplier or something that increases your defense or another buff of sorts because you're having to use it in place of an absent accessibility setting at the very least it, it does look like they're adding some things in with updates because i think I think they have most recently pushed an update which fixes some of the motion blur issues that some people are having with motion sickness. But as we wrap up our discussion on Final Fantasy sixteen, I, I want to bring it back to some of the discussion we were having earlier in terms of the thematic and narrative sort of things that Final Fantasy sixteen tries to achieve with its dark fantasy setting. And we've all seen the comparisons, the Game of Thrones and other dark fantasy sort of franchises and media. In in terms of how well ultimately would you say that this sort of attempt at trying and delivering a quote unquote mature Final Fantasy land. I know, Percy, you've mentioned about some of these disparate plot points that didn't really intersect, albeit they probably should have, but but how did that contribute to your overall experience of the game? I think it was um, a disruption for me. I found every moment where they were trying to sort of push this um, rebellion and the... Um, quite overt like hierarchical class system that they were discussing throughout the initial plotline. Um, those were all concepts that I thought were very important to discuss, very compelling, very like relevant, um, I suppose, unfortunately for us in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and they would touch on a lot of things that I think should be raised, and then they would never really follow through. So that is it kind of just feels like they were willing to bring them up but didn't know how to integrate them into the broader sort of mythic fantasy genre and then they just never really figured it out and didn't follow through um the prime example is the slave rebellion which is the crux of the start of the game it is what clive finds himself drawn into and then what clive ultimately defines himself by like following through with and by the end of the game 
you don't see a the, the the term that they use is bearer right and a bearer is a person who can channel magic naturally um and for quite unclear reasons that means that they've all been enslaved by the various political powers we don't know how that came about um and we don't really know how that remains enforced and why bearers haven't been able to like fight back against this but we never actually see a bearer do anything the only thing that we see is Clive do things for them or Clive try and free them and them be passive elements of the plot line. You never get to see the people actually empower themselves. And I think that's where it ultimately like fails because the point of the game is people empowering themselves to fight back against their oppressor. And so why didn't we see that? Yeah, that's a, that's a big part of that. And, you know, it's like... This game starts off with Clive in an upper class society as as a young prince, um, and you know very quickly the game is like, don't worry, he's, he's a good one when it comes to to slavery. He's going to be nice to the slave that's carrying the apples in the crate. Like, don't worry, it's all good over here in Rosaria, the kingdom that almost treats its slaves as people. Um, and then you know through circumstances and events, Clive finds himself branded i'm not going to say that this is a big spoiler because it's basically his face on the artwork of the game um and brands are the tattoos the facial tattoos that bearers are given that make them distinguishable from everyone else and if you have one you're basically part of that slave cast so essentially our hero goes from being a noble to becoming branded and then leading a slave uprising and at the same time is also what this world calls a dominant which is like an extra special uh bearer if you will, that can channel the power of the gods itself, basically a walking atomic bomb, if you will. Um, and so not only do you have a slave rebellion led by someone who's not really one of these slaves to begin with in the initial stages, it's it, 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 they're also in an even more heightened privilege of power compared to most people in this world. And it's a bit wonky and odd. And, you know, when I think about other fantasy universes or worlds or stories that have tried to play around with the idea of magic and slavery or people with innate skills being enslaved or persecuted for them, I think of things like N.K. Jemisin's The Fifth Season, for example, which is a really fantastic fantasy series, which which plays around with the idea of people who are gifted with certain powers being ostracized by society, specifically because society understood how powerful they would be and had to persecute and prejudice them to ensure that they wouldn't be overthrown. And then I think of also the Dragon Age series and its Mage Towers, which is a very similar sort of thing. Mage is put into slavery because the ruling class could understand that the tables would be turned if they ever rebelled and used their powers against the com- like the, the ruling class, essentially. So they spread misinformation within the common class to kind of make everyone scared by them. And I imagine that's what this game is trying to do, but doesn't actually kind of thread the needle and say it properly. I am going to mention something that I just experienced in this game this morning, which is Clive did a centrism and it annoyed me, uh, which was I was, I was playing a, a side quest uh, when uh, one of the side, and mind you, some of the most interesting writing happens in the side quests, which are some of the most boring gameplay, where you're going from A to B and picking apples or whatever. Um, but then you'll stop and talk to a character and you'll be like, that was so fascinating. While wow, this world is way better than I thought it was. I want to play a turn-based game in this um and 
Clive was talking to someone who runs a village essentially as like the village leader and he, and the village leader just admitted, oh yeah, this entire village has been put together to stop like this person in the ruling elite who is going on slave hunts basically. And so all of us is ba- banded together essentially to get our bloody revenge. We're going to kill this guy. He's not hunting people anymore. We will do whatever it takes. And then he stormed off. And then Clive said to himself, hmm, I can't convince him that revenge might be a bad idea. And I just wanted to like... I was just like, Clive, your entire narrative arc up until this point has been purposefully chasing revenge for no particular reason. And now you are like lecturing someone because they want to have just revenge against slavers. And I I just couldn't quite like, I am calling out that moment. It was, it was a bit of a narrative fail, but that kind of gives you the idea of like when this game doesn't hit, if that makes sense. Um, When it does hit though, is all it's combat and and it's boss fight sequences, which I just want to live in and just, you know, I'll think about for years, basically. So, yeah, it's a complicated game on many fronts and has many things going for it and many things that you can see what they're trying to do, but ultimately just doesn't quite land as well as perhaps it could have. So all things considered, Percy, do you rate or drop Final Fantasy 16? At the end of the day, um, I think that even though it is a very slow start uh, and a lot of these ideas never really get followed up on, I would rate this game. It is um, once you reach like the sort of, look, I've played a lot of MMOs. I'm willing to slog through a lot of stuff. Once you reach the second and like third section of the game, it really kicks off. And some of the sequences that you see in this game, I've never seen a sequence of that quality before. I know, Adam, that you've experienced one of those sequences very recently, uh, so I'm curious to see whether you agree with me on this, but I would personally rate this game. And Adam, same question to you. Um, Look, I feel like we grumped and complained about a lot of quibbles here, but I do actually think this is the best Final Fantasy game since Final Fantasy XII. Um, You know, where that bar actually is is another question entirely, but I rate this. Um, Problems aside... Uh, tone issues aside, pol- political kind of fumblings aside, um, there is a really fun action game here. I wish it had an easy difficulty and not the way that it approached its way with difficulty. But I think if you're willing to kind of persevere through its kind of clunkiness in that sense and some of its narrative clunkiness, the highs in this game are just so exceptional. And the best part is you get to turn your brain off for them and just be like, woo, I'm on a roller coaster. And I don't I don't know what to say other than like I'm having a blast while being very intimately critical with this thing. Um and I think it's definitely left an impression on me and it's been mostly positive and negative at this like I just don't know what to say other than I'm having a blast. Uh but it's it's a blast where every now and then I remind myself that it could be better in so many different ways, but I think it's still fundamentally very fun. So that's a long-winded way, very similar to how this game puts you on fetch quests, to say, yes, I rate it. I mean, ultimately, we nitpick and we critique because we care, and there's a lot going for it, for sure. So that's Final Fantasy sixteen from Square Enix. Thanks to Bandai Namco Australia for giving us a code for review, and you can pick it up and play on PlayStation 5 right now.
listening to Drop Rate by Sifter. Visit us on sifter.com.au. This has been Drop Rate by Sifter, our video game review podcast. Thanks to Brian Fairbanks from Salty Dog Sounds for composing the theme music. And Sifter is produced by Chris Button, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang and Adam Christo. Mitch Lowe is senior producer and Gianni DiGiovanni is our executive producer. So Percy, if people want to follow your work, where should they find you? Uh, most of the time I'm doing a lot of writing uh, on Games Hub is one of my primary places. Um, and while Twitter is still alive, uh, who knows how long that is, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Manorethan. If you don't know how to spell it, just, just go to Games Hub and find me there. It's probably easier. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Adam, I know we see plenty of you on Sifter, but if this is someone's first time seeing you, where where can I find your work? Yeah, they can uh, listen to me at rrr.org.au every fortnight. I'm on the Breakfasters program reviewing video games. Uh, I'm You can go back and listen to me there. Um, and sifter.com.au, where I sometimes write reviews and various other things. Fantastic. And that's all for this week. You can check out what Sifter is up to on our socials, which has expanded in just the last few days. You can look up Sifter HQ on the likes of YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, Threads, a whole bunch of channels there. Or you can hop into the Sifter Discord and have a yarn with the team about what you're playing at the moment, and we'll include a link for you to join us there. If you enjoyed this episode of Drop Rate, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing the episode on social media. This helps put us in front of more people and enables us to provide more in-depth coverage. Plus, you can check out our other podcast, Lightmap, where we talk to game developers, creatives, and people who are doing cool things in interactive media on your favourite podcast app of choice. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. Hey there, Gianni here. On the latest episode of Lightmap Sifter's interview podcast, Maddie Annabelle and Shaz Dio from Brisbane's Half Brick share the history of Fruit Ninja and the new version they've built for Apple Vision Pro. We're a company that's not afraid to fail, so we thankfully had a lot of support and were able to just keep trying things over and over and over again until it felt right. Our biggest kind of challenge was just trying to figure out how to truly make it feel like you are doing this slicing, getting it one for one, making it feel juicy and exciting. We wanted to be able to pick up a fruit off the ground and slice it, throw it somewhere and have you know the juice and the splats appear everywhere. And it was just a lot of iterations and trial and error. You can get every episode of Lightmap for free on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on YouTube, or head to our website, sifter.com.au. Oh.